iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Mercati. I thank you heartily for joining us this week. And uh, I'm delighted to say that I am joined in the studio by Julian Lawrence and James Scowcroft. Better yet, far better than those two, joining me down the line from an undisclosed location in Rippenden, and this time I believe he is fully clothed, it's Ollie Kay. You believe wrong. (laughs) We can only fantasize. You know what? Let's face it, though. Hey, hey, I live in a city, and I got windows and people who pass by my house. Um, Presumably you do too, Julian. I do indeed. Uh, You've got neighbors as well. Going? Yeah, yeah, I have far guess. away. Yeah, yeah, far away in the countryside. Usually. But if you live where Ollie lives, why would you possibly wear any clothes inside your house? Right? There's no real reason to. Am I correct, I thought, Ollie? I thought you were going to say, "Why would you have windows?" Um, <laughs> this is well, this is going gone in a, 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 an unexpected direction. But uh, I, I, I think basically anyone who works from home, you know, you, you don't get rest. You don't get rest till you go and pick up the children from school in the in the afternoon. Do you? It's, you know. What, what calls have you got to get dressed? We digress. Uh, let's move on. We're going to be talking about a pivotal weekend uh, in the Premier League. And we're going to do something we don't normally do and uh, wind the clock all the way back to Friday. Easy question. We're at the uh, place formerly known as the Olympic Stadium, now imaginatively called the London Stadium. Um, Spurs lose 1-0 to West Ham. Is it over, Ollie? And in fact, did it ever begin? It was a challenge. It, you know, it wasn't like um, certain seasons we've had over recent years where it really has been a one-horse race. But it was, it was nearly a one-horse race. I mean, Man City started quickly and, and, and couldn't keep it up. And Man United didn't really get going. Arsenal, Liverpool faded. Um, Spurs were the ones who were mounting some kind of challenge. And, and, and I think they'd won, was it nine in a row? Nine in a row before, um, before Friday night. So when people are saying... Old Spurs have bottled it. I think there were 13 points adrift or something around January or New Year's Day or thereabouts. So, no, Spurs have not bottled it, but Spurs left themselves with almost no margin for error. And, and they weren't resilient enough to win 13 on the, on the spin or, or whatever they would have needed to. But even if had they won 13 on the spin, they probably still wouldn't have won it. So, you know, you can't really say Spurs have blown it or Spurs have bottled it because. If Spurs blew it, it was it was in sort of October, November when the pressure wasn't on. Scoy, I'm assuming you agree with that assessment. I was actually at the game with, with a friend of mine, and I've never seen so much hatred towards one team. West Ham, West Ham wanted to beat Tottenham so badly, and the the, the bloke I was with actually said he said for Tottenham for some unknown reason all the London clubs, Chelsea are a bit of obsessed with Tottenham. Obviously, they've got the Arsenal rivalry. West Ham are obsessed with Tottenham. 
and they've got all these London derbies, which I think is so, so tough for Tottenham. Um, and maybe one or two other London clubs as well. But especially Tottenham, there, there seems to be this sort of anti-Tottenham in, uh, in, in London. And West Ham, they were obsessed. And I came out and it was almost like West Ham had won the World Cup. Last season, everybody wanted to upend Tottenham and you could see why it's Leicester and blah, blah, blah. But it seemed that for a team like West Ham, who you, know, you would expect to be on the, be- uh, on the beach and, 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 and whatever else... All of a sudden, it's Friday night, it's live television, it's it's Tottenham. And, I mean, is it odd to you that they should derive such pleasure from what? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's very similar to the to the Chelsea Spurs of last season, that 2-2 at Stamford Bridge, and I remember being there. And, it, and it's exactly the same atmosphere that Scorey has described from Friday night at the um, at the London Stadium. It was exactly the same. Like, Chelsea were 12 at the time, I think, last season or 11. They're playing so bad. And on that day, there was just... They, they were just very good. They were so good, and and you could see from the fans to the bench, the staff, the players that they just wanted it so badly to beat Spurs or at least draw to prevent them from trying to catch up with with Leicester. And, and you know, eventually Leicester won the league that 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 night. But it was incredible. So yeah, there's there's definitely something in there. Ali, we're 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 familiar with the term ABU, anyone but United, and and you can sometimes understand that. Because United have been so dominant, and before that, it was probably Liverpool. But a, do you notice this, and is it slightly weird to you this this, this sort of Tottenham directed Schadenfreude, which seems to be more directed at them than towards other clubs? I think Schadenfreude has has leapt into into the game in in a really big way. Um, I mean, I was, I was hearing on the radio yesterday about um, Aston Villa's fans going wild at the fact that they denied Brighton the. Uh, <laughs> Winning the championship title, which you know that's, that that seems pretty small beer when you when you look at Aston Villa's history. But you know there is that that kind of you know let's 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 be party boopers, let's rain on their parade type thing, which which I think appeals to um, something in uh, in football fans a lot of the time. But the the Spurs thing, I mean, I don't know, are we, are we overstating this? I mean, I, I remember Wenger coming out with something similar about about Arsenal a, a few years back, saying, "Oh, we, we, it's it's so much harder for us than for Manchester United and for the Northern teams because." We've got so many derby games in London. As if, as if going to you know Fulham and and, and Wimbledon at that time was was some incredibly difficult task. I mean, I, I know I know Spurs do. There is that sort of rivalry around Spurs, and it's heightened at the moment because Spurs are you know Spurs have suddenly got a bit of a strap about them. But um, I've, you know, oh, what, yeah, what I, I I've about, no, sorry, I have never witnessed, and I follow Manchester United a lot, and you, you've, yeah, yeah. I've been to Leeds. With Manchester, I've been to other places and I've seen hatred that I didn't thought exist. But this was on a level that I thought, wow, th- th- this is. And this is my second visit to the Olympic Stadium or the, or the London Stadium as it is now. And people say, oh, it's, the, the atmosphere was far better than what I've ever witnessed at, at Upton Park. It was really, it was electric. And you know, I sat in a main stand. I had grown men around me. The language was just cannot even repeat. Industrial. It, it you was. It, <laughs> coming out of the ground afterwards, it was almost like a, a carnival. Bringing back to matters on the pitch, like the rest of you, I don't think Tottenham bottled it. I think this is an exceptional season. I think it's going to be statistically their best season since since the double in 1961. More importantly, they're showing signs of forward progress. I think this is much more... I, I wrote this last week and people were like, oh, no, you're stupid. It's all about silverware. I'm like, no, it's not. Because frankly, had they finished fourth and won the FA Cup or the League Cup... You know, who cares? Um, but here they showed themselves to be, you know, viable champions. Um, they're not champions because Chelsea amassed a ton of points earlier and are probably a better side. However, in this game, Julian, I thought Tottenham played really badly. Yeah. Um, was this 
just inevitable that you know basic variance after nine straight wins I don't know I think they, they keep doing that they did the same at Liverpool where they, they didn't show up they did the same at United where they didn't show up either and you do wonder psychologically if I don't know if, if, if Pochettino somehow away from home especially needs to change something a little bit because they I mean it was quite obvious I thought on Friday but I was not there but in front of the television to see that West Ham would be so up for it that the Spurs players would have needed to be even more up for it than than usually, if you see what I mean. And and it, it almost looked like if no one told them, listen boys, this is going to be harder than anything before this season because the crowd is crazy. This is the game to win for them. And it looks like they, they, they got into the stem almost like if it was a, I don't know, like a, a pre-season match or something. They didn't look like they were ready for it to win the challenges, to win the second balls. I don't know, it was so unlike them lately. And it's almost like if no one warned them that this is going to be really, really tricky and really hard game because they, it looked like they just walked in and expecting to win by, by not working hard enough. It looked like they were not ready for this game at all. You almost feel for West Ham. You think, hold on, you've put so much. You know, West Ham have done nothing this season. Yet the tempo that they played with, you just think, where was that been all season? I didn't get it. I'd just come away and I just thought that it's just the most bizarre evening of football that I'd seen in a long, long time. Either sort of the, the, the one team's obsession with beating another I've not seen for a long, long time. But I agree with you. I think Tottenham underestimated it. Ollie, um, I'd like you to look into your little crystal ball because um, obviously the, the future is very bright for, for Tottenham. Um, people are going to debate in fact, we'll probably continue debating whether they can keep these guys together. But I also look at it in terms of how they're going to add to this team. And with the fact that Franco Baldini left, Mitchell left, they spent what right around $50 million on Jansen and, and Sissoko. Is there a risk now that as great as Pochettino is a manager, you know, they could look back and say, well, if we hadn't spent all that money on two guys who contributed virtually nothing this season and we'd gotten some more help, maybe we'd be in a better position. Is that something that that we need to address or do you, do you trust Pochettino to do it or do we just make too big a deal out of it? My concern looking at Spurs would be that if you look at these, if you take these two seasons as a whole, which I know is a very sort of revisionist thing to do, but if you take these two seasons as a whole, they have been by far the most impressive, consistent team in the Premier League. I mean, Chelsea won it one year and were, were, were rubbish the next year. Leicester won it one year and were rubbish the next year. Man City Arsenal haven't really got going. Spurs have been so consistent and yet they haven't won it. And in fact, they haven't really come that close to winning in, in, in those two seasons. And you wonder whether they will look back at these two years as, as an opportunity wasted. And if so, what, you know, what, where did they fall short? Was it, was it the... Um, were they just not quite good enough, or, or has there been a slight, a slight flaw in their approach when they've gone away to the bigger teams? Because, uh, because that, you know, that does seem to have been a problem. And, and I don't think they're going to have the white hot lane. Well, they're not going to have the white hot lane factor in, in, in their favour next season. And playing at Wembley and so on, that does present a few challenges. And I, and I know, yes, they've got Champions League football again, so have a bit more money to spend. But I think they've shown over over the years that they are not going to be big spenders. They'll probably commit more to trying to keep their best players than, than, than to adding to their squad and is there a player out there that they could sign that would that would elevate them to the next level if we assume that the Manchester clubs and, and, and others are going to be stronger next season so it might just be that you know an opportunity has been missed here Scoy I want to give you the final word and I'd like to ask you about a guy who whose story fascinated me um, Manuel Lanzini was a rising star in Argentina had the opportunity 
to move to Europe and then said, you know what, I'm going to the Gulf so I can make some big cash, settle my family, set them up for life because I could get run over by a truck tomorrow. Um, so he goes, he does that. He moves to the Premier League and... And even more money. I'm not sure he is, but no. he's still earning. Oh, he's still adds, earning. Adds to the... Uh, right, but, 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 but the point is... I like this guy a lot, and I kind of wonder sort of his skill set's a little bit unusual. I kind of get the impression he's kind of thriving since this season, since Pyatt yeah, left, yeah. and even when Pyatt was still there, obviously he was more muted. Does he have another level to go to? I think he does, and I think if you put better players around him, he would be a lot, lot better as well. So he's definitely the star at West Ham at the moment. He was the one player that got on the ball and could... He's got a very low centre of gravity, technically very, very good. If he was a top-four club... You would look at him, really. You've almost got to give him a little bit of a free roll, maybe as a 10 or as a on the, on the left, cutting inside. But the lad has got a lot of ability and a lot of money, obviously. Arsenal, Manchester United. In the run-up to this, to the neutral, this felt like the most irrelevant Arsenal-United clash, I think, in a very, very long time. Partly, it's Mourinho's doing because he announced ahead of time that he was going to make a ton of changes. And he did, obviously, with an eye towards that Europa League semi-final. Ollie, is this normal or surprising that he... I'm not saying he gave up on a top-four finish, but, I mean, you're, you did win away in Spain. Do you really have so little faith in, in your team at this stage? It is quite strange. I don't think many managers other than Mourinho would, would take that approach. And, you, you know, you, you look at what Mourinho does and, and down the years it has worked extremely well. I know that United have had a few injuries lately, but, but look at that team yesterday after making eight changes. Look at the bench they had. It's an extremely deep, strong, experienced squad. And not many of these players have... You know, I mean, how, how many of them have even played more than 50 games this season? Players often give you the impression that they're not tired unless someone tells them that they're tired. And all we've been hearing from Mourinho is how exhausted United are, how, how impossible all of this is. And maybe saying different things behind closed doors, but I find it really bizarre. I find his negativity in, in outlook quite bizarre when he has proved himself such a winner in football. And I look at United this season and I think, well, yes, they've won a cup. They look like they're going to potentially win another cup, but their league form, their, their league performances, their league results are just not very good. Mourinho can say, oh, you know, we've run out of legs or it's impossible to compete, but it's, I don't know, they just haven't been good. Again, nil away to um, uh, one of the big teams. It, 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 they've been lacking ideas, lacking real adventure in the way they play, and they're averaging a goal and a half per game, which after spending goodness knows how many hundreds of millions over on, on creative and attacking players over the last three summers, I think is is unacceptable. Scoy, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to, to react to this. I, I find personally, just, just to add this, I find the whole thing bizarre too. Also, some of the players who did play, like, remember early in the season when Mkhitaryan was supposedly too weak to play twice a week and stuff, so he had to wrap him up in cotton wool, and like, gee, who gets to play twice in 72 hours? It's Mkhitaryan. Uh, can you shed some light on this? Because he's rotated all season. It's not like many of these guys have, other than Herrera, who actually, of course, did play, uh, it's not like these guys have played that many minutes. No, that you know what I would say from a, a former professional point of view, you do get tired. Um, I from my own personal career, when when I got to the middle of March, early April, I, I, I was just shattered. Uh, and 
you got to take into the mental fatigue, and that, that that's something that we can all relate to because we all we all suffer from from mental tiredness as well. I, I can tell you now these these players from the travelling, the focus that it goes into a big game. If it's a Saturday game, you'd probably start preparing on a Wednesday evening. The mental energy, the mental focus that you would prepare for a game. They've got Thursday, they've got to go to Tottenham on Sunday, they've got to go to Southampton on Wednesday. It's just relentless. They just cannot turn off. They're always, you're always turning your body around. It takes 48 hours for your body to start feeling normal again. So these, these lads naturally were going into games with, with micro tears, you know, mini little injuries. Even if you're sub and you don't get on, you are still kicking every ball. You're still mentally preparing for the game. You're still mentally... and his best defender and Pogba probably his best player now that Ibrahimovic is out. Why put those dudes on the bench then? Why not? I mean, this is the part I don't understand if you're going to make that argument, right? Why don't you get two other duds from the youth team on the on, on the bench or or or, or, or Valencia or, or, or whomever? That's the part I don't understand. Because I think you have to keep the team together, Gab. I don't, I don't think all of a sudden, you know, these are away for two days. You know, travelling to, to London, Staying in the hotel and that, then all that. So it's no, you can't say to right, you you go away for three days and we'll pick up. We go, you have to keep everybody together. Okay, you can bring them together, bring them to London, have them stay in the hotel. But if it's so stressful to be on the bench, well, why, why, and why? it's so tiring? No, 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 no. This is the part you can't have I, it both I mean, ways. It, maybe, maybe you have a point, but can he really do that? He can do whatever he likes. He's Jose Mourinho. He's a manager. He can go out and say, like, we won't finish top four in the league like he did. And by the way, the point about these games against Southampton and Spurs that are coming up, when you've already said in public that you're not going to finish top four, I mean, do these games really matter so much? They do, Matt, because you're Manchester United and the whole nation's obsessed with Manchester and the focus is on them. You know, it does matter. This team at Arsenal yesterday, they could have won the game. It's not a team that were beaten before. Exactly. So it's not... That's that's why... Okay, I get the rotation and I get some players get tired. But it's still a very, very competitive team that played in a very negative way again. The big, big problem is Manchester United are struggling to score goals and have been for a long, long time. Forget rotation, time is it. There is a massive problem... Here and it's, and it's it's gone back, you know, almost to the, st- the start of the season. Really, they're struggling to score goals, and I don't think anyone can really pinpoint that. But if you don't try, if you go to Liverpool away and you tell your fullbacks don't go over the the halfway line, if you go to City and you tell your fullbacks don't go over the halfway line, if you go to Arsenal and you did the same, you know, you know, Julian, he's got a right back playing left back that uh, you probably wouldn't want to go over. He's got a, a 19 year old making his debut. No, what okay, are you going to do? If, if, if you've told your players, okay, make sure that when you lose the ball, we go 10 men behind the ball. We don't leave them space. We don't do this. We don't do that. Instead of telling they're them... They're not good enough. I, I don't think I they're think good enough collectively, enough. collectively good enough to go to a team, go to an Arsenal, go to a Man City, go to a Spurs yeah, and, and say, this right... Arsenal? This Arsenal? This, this Arsenal? good enough to be Arsenal yesterday. So you, you think with the, the inexperienced fullbacks, one is a lopsided fullback. To go over the halfway, I would think Danny Welbeck, Sanchez, certainly Ozil when he gets a ball would absolutely destroy you. And I think Mourinho's done the right thing there. And okay. I think he did the right thing with Man City. I think Mourinho's looked at it and think, the best way I can pick points up here is by being defensive. I, I disagree. You're Manchester United. You can't go away like that and not score a single goal away from home against the other team from the top six. I think is it's just not Manchester United. I, I, to, to, to me, I thought what might have changed things was Liverpool drawing. I mean, they, they they knew that they knew that Liverpool had drawn that game. Why not gamble a little bit and go for the win? Arsenal are not particularly good. Well, what does a draw get you? What does nicking something get you? Not to mention the message it sends to these players. 
people like Mkhitaryan and Martial, they have a future in front of them. They're good players. How about you turn around and say, you know what? You guys are going to go, and we're going to we're gonna beat Arsenal because exactly. Arsenal are rubbish, and I don't like right. Wenger, and I've never lost exactly. to Wenger. And, and they've got Rob Holding and Kieran Gibbs at the back, and we're going to go and destroy them. And, and Ozil is, is a cipher. How is it possible that the one game where Ozil looks good because he beat two yeah. men at one point during the game is against United? How, how is it possible? And instead, you tell them, if we lose, it's okay. I don't care if we lose. You know, if we lose, it doesn't matter. Again, you're Manchester United. You, Jose Mourinho. You've got players like Gab said, Marcel and Mkhitaryan and Herrera and Juan Mata, World Cup champions. You can't tell them, oh, we go to Arsenal, but don't worry. If we lose, it's okay. I to mention, I'll give you another example, right? What if Eric Bailly falls down the stairs and can't play against Celta and you have to call on, on one of the two English mannequins to play, right? <laughs> when you've already destroyed these people, right? You said like, hey, like Jones and Smalling, you're going to go and turn out for the C team against Arsenal. That's how much belief I have in you. He might be right. He might be wrong. You can prove me wrong. Maybe they'll win the Europa League and whatever. But I just say this. This is different from the way Jose Mourinho worked in the past. Whether you think he's right now or whatever, this is a different version that we're seeing when it comes to managing a squad. You agree with that, right? I think a bit of fear has crept into him. Maybe. but I, Ollie, let's talk Arsenal. Do you like this version of the back three? Because Tony Cascarino does not like it. And I have to say, Oxlade-Chamberlain, a game like this, whoa, he's brilliant. Uh, other games, I don't think he has any business playing wing back. Kieran Gibbs at wing back, I, don't, I simply don't understand. Is, is this the future for Arsenal, or at least the future between now and whenever Mr. Wenger makes up his mind about whether he wants to stay or not? I would agree with Tony. In, I, I haven't really liked it. I mean, I... I you could say they've got two big wins against Man United and Man, Man City, and, and they have. But those two games, I didn't think they—I didn't think they even had to play all that well. I, thought, I think they were. I think City and United were poor against them that that day. Not because not because Arsenal frustrated them or Arsenal's system got the better of them. I think Arsenal realised in in the second half of both of those matches that they weren't up against all that much really, and and, and it was a chance to, to to go win. Maybe the shape suits a few of them and maybe the fact that it's three central defenders means that it's strengthening numbers and maybe it ends up being a, a better option than the sort of four two three one which just looked so predictable and so uh, stale really and I think the solidity is the idea behind that is that if Chaka or Ramsey makes a mistake then at least you're not too exposed behind I had written in my notes the last thing that we we're going to discuss about this game is Wayne Rooney our colleague Matt Dickinson um, I'm just going to read you the headline here, which he didn't write, but Rooney huffing and puffing his way to Old Trafford exit. Matt Dickinson watches a player struggle to defy his age with an impotent display. Impotent is kind of a loaded word there, isn't it? Um, does anybody feel a great need to discuss Wayne Rooney or can we just move on? He's finished. Is anyone surprised though? I don't, I don't, I don't think that comes as a surprise. It's not like if he'd been amazing for all season and then suddenly it was, it was bad. He's been rubbish all season. I don't understand why people are surprised or disappointed. He's, he's failed to influence games now for probably the best part of three seasons. I'll leave you with this. Um, I think it's something he might have told you in an interview or it's something you've certainly brought up. How Rooney had said that a few years ago that when he gets older and his legs go, he wanted to play in midfield. I took this to mean, Ollie, when you first wrote about it, that we were talking midfield in terms of him sitting in front of the back four and spraying passes all over the place. Mm. Uh, when we've seen him do that as well, not with great success. But does this make you sad? Does it leave you cold? I, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's, 
sad the way his, his career is petered out, but I think he can um, spare people a sob story for, for, for Wayne Rooney, who's Man United's and England's all-time record goal scorer. I mean, he's not been, he's not become the player that we perhaps hoped he would be. I, I don't think he's aged well as a, as a footballer, and I think a few people, um, smart people, suggested years ago he wasn't going to age well. I think if you look. You know, if people say, oh, he's not got back to the form of two or three years ago, his best form was, was almost a decade ago or or around a decade ago. It's, it's a long time in the past. I think he's been dropping down the levels um, since then. I think he's now at a level where he just doesn't fit at Manchester United. And as Dicko says in the, in the paper, why would a team such as Everton spend a, you know, a huge amount of, of their wage bill on, on a player like Rooney? I, I, don't think he, I don't think he can he can perform in the Premier League next season. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Did we all watch Match of the Day 2 last night with my mate Mark Chapman, show of hands? Yes. That is your hand, yes. I, I was fascinated at the end, and this is why... I think Mark Chapman's really good at his job. Phil Neville says something, it almost sounds like a throwaway comment about um, the gap between the Premier League and, and La Liga. And then Martin Keown says something about the intensity of the Premier League. And then Chappers kind of calls them on it, you know, and asks them to explain their view. I, I just thought it was interesting because Chapman asked them, and I don't think he was necessarily they were wrong, but he asked them to explain themselves and, you know, one of them sort of tied himself up into knots and contradict himself over and over again. And the other one is Phil Neville. But um, I'm going to juxtapose this with something that our friend and colleague, Duncan Castles, uh, wrote. He interviewed this guy named Luis Campos, who is a former Mourinho assistant, uh, then sort of became almost like a head scout director football role at Monaco, credit for bringing a lot of these guys in. He's now at Lille. And he said... In the Premier League, they spend a lot of money on attacking players, but the defenders, as a general rule, aren't prized in the same way. Now, I'm asking you, Scoey, you, you, you follow French football closely. You, you've spent a lot of time there. You're looking pensive. Is that fair? Or is it maybe the case that they just spend less time coaching, defending? Or maybe that certainly four of the coaches of the top six are generally very attack-minded coaches potential exception being Mourinho and Conte. Teams here have more money than the top six in La Liga, right? Why are we seeing so many, especially recently, towards the tail end of the season? They don't have more money than Real Madrid, do they? Or, or Barcelona to a certain extent. Yeah, so. United, City, they're not, they're not, they're, they're, they're not far off. Okay, anyway. but, but in the there, there's they're, many they're, different they're, dynamics, isn't okay. there? There's the there's but, a lifestyle. Why, why is the football not as good, basically, right now? At least, at least it's, I mean, I, I think the Premier League is great. I love the Premier League. But if I had to look, at the football that the top six have good, played this year. G- give me more detail. Well-executed, effective football. 
to me, that's the definition of good. I don't, let me put it this way. I don't think Jurgen Klopp, when, when he hides away with, 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 with his assistant with, with the long, greasy hair, says, yeah, we played, we've been playing really well for the last three well, months. Well, I don't think Mourinho would say that. I don't think, Duncan Castles might. I don't think, certainly would hope Wenger wouldn't say that. Man United, Man City, Chelsea have these enormous Real Madrid type budgets. Not, maybe not quite Real Madrid type, but enormous budgets. And, you know, our, our teams are. So why, why can they never hope, sign the best players in the world? Well, they can't sign the top, the top ten or so. Uh, you know, Pogba might be an exception in terms of profile, in terms of ability. Who knows? But but it, when they're signing the top ten players in the world, it's because they are outspending Real Madrid, Barcelona. It, that, that's the only reason why United got. Pogba is because they spent a ludicrous amount, but okay. generally speaking, so, so Julian will a, give a us top a ten player. Prime would, example: would, the most sought-after player, probably in the next this summer or the summer after, uh, Kylian Mbappe. Where's he going to go? In Monaco. He's going to stay for another year. But but I think City and United potentially can pay the 120 million. Now Manchester United can blow anyone out exactly. of water. Exactly. So they. But so what they I'm saying is, but where is Mbappe going to go? Yeah, but, but, but then it, it depends. Like, you're kind of proving Duncan Castle's point here, right? You're going on about know. Kylian Mbappe, right? This is the guy who worked with Mourinho for a long time, highly respected. He said, you go and you blow your money on attacking players and you don't have the defensive balance. I, I, I'd like to take it back to that. And to be perfectly honest, but you say that, when, but I look when, at you, when English teams play Spanish teams, you'd say technically in midfield and going forward, they're better. You wouldn't say, oh, they beat them because defensively they were better. I don't know to what degree I... To, to, I, I, to, I think, I think you, you, you're just arguing the, the, the toss of a coin. I don't think there's any weight behind either argument. It's personal opinion. And I think... Well, that's why I was interested but, in hearing yours. But what, Ollie, I'm more interested in hearing yours than Julian's. <laughs> English clubs blow an enormous amount of money on... Defenders, Mangala, Otamendi, Stones, that just Man City, Bailly, Lovren, Mustafi, hugely expensive players, hugely expensive players, some of the most expensive defenders in the world. But I've written this before, I don't think there is a culture in the Premier League at the moment of clubs striving to be the best that they can possibly be. They've got some of the best managers, they've got some of the best players. The clubs are in a comfort zone. The clubs are so financially driven they're more interested in Champions League qualification than setting out to be the best that they can be winning the title winning the Champions League competing in the Champions League year after year everything has been dulled by money and I totally agree with Phil Neville when he says the the level isn't as good as in La Liga it's complacent it's comfort zone football a lot of it and when people say oh the reason Premier League teams don't do as well in Europe is because the Premier League is so intense and, and, and I mean Real Madrid play Sort of 60 games a season, every season, maybe more, uh, including huge intensity games against you know Champions League semi-finals, finals, these huge classic games that, that, that tend to be about five or six of them a year. The idea that the Premier League is is some relentless, unforgiving place where, where you have to be at your best every week is rubbish because because you know last season Arsenal finished second in third gear. No, it, 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 Man City going to finish. Third or fourth in third gear. It's it's. Ollie, you're you're you. I mean, I think you know my views on this. You're you're a hundred percent correct. And I'll go back to what Scoey said as well about mental fatigue. Mm. You mentioned Real Madrid there. Not only do Real Madrid do it, the Real Madrid do it 
in a far, far more high-pressure taxing environment for the players. I go back to this. Every single player who's played in, in Spain or Italy or France and then goes to the Premier League says, hey, I love it here because there's so much less pressure. I'd like you to react to what Ollie said there about the culture of being the best and clubs being in a comfort zone where as long as their balance sheet is okay, they're not really fussed. They're not as ambitious about necessarily winning things because you know what? Finishing top four, signing some marketing deals in China, we made 50 million pounds profit. We have a sold out there. Is, is that... That's is Mr. Scudamore's fault, isn't it? Because all of a sudden he's set up Mr. a league... Mr. Scudamore d- doesn't own it's any fault. clubs. No, no, no. He's, he's set up a league that's just going to attract people that are going to come in and, oh, cash rich, right, let's get... Where Spain don't have that culture. Barcelona have a culture where it's all about a style of play. Real Madrid have a culture where you have to win. And it's not... You know, it's not another... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure when that Sir Alex Ferguson chap was there at United, I'm pretty sure that was the culture there too, right? And they won and they made... Well, the, loads the of money, right? Taking a billion pound out of the club, right? But they, they were still winning. He still demanded success, Sir Alex, didn't he? No, he did. But you, you, you're looking at so you you, you can the, do the, the same League, thing. Ollie's spot on. The Premier League has set up a culture where it's money obsessed, and that that comes from the very very top. If you're on about a winning mentality, don't just go to the players or the manager. It comes from the people that run the club and set the standards. Ollie, let me let me ask you this, right? Let's assume this is right. If you were say Ed Woodward. Does this mean you should get down to the training ground and get in Jose Mourinho's face and say, like, listen, Europa League's all fine and well, but we have to do a lot better, blah, blah, blah? Or do you say, eh, you know what? Mourinho puts enough pressure on himself. I'm here to make money. He runs the football side. I don't need to go do that. But but you can see you can see with those big clubs, if Bayern Munich lose in the league, Carlos Rummenigge or Uli Hones are down in the mix zone in the stadium, they've been in the dressing room, they speak to the media and say, this is not good enough. Carlo, this is not good enough. They call on the manager, they call on the player saying, this is not good enough. Same with Real Madrid, same with Barcelona, same in Italy as well in many ways. In England, you never hear the owner, you never hear the, the CEO or the chairman or you know, whoever is running the club. Never, ever. The players because never see wanna, them. Because the players the minute, never see them. The, the manager minute, never sees them. Because the minute these guys pipe up, what happens? We in the media, and I'm sorry to say, driven mostly by ex-pros who feel some loyalty towards their manager, say, oh, look, so-and-so chairman is interfering, right? That's the first thing we say. We can't have it both ways. We can't complain about there's no pressure or culture from the owners and, and their representatives, right? And at the same time, say, you know, say they, oh, but when they do speak up, they're interfering. Does Stan Kroenke care whether Arsenal finish first or fourth? No, he doesn't, Absolutely but I imagine not. Ivan Gazidis does care. Do the Glazers? Does Ed Woodward care? If... if if the Glazers cared whether United finished... In fact, no, I'll put it another way. What would the Glazers want? Man United to be European champions or Man United to be top of that football-rich list year after year? I don't even have to answer the question. It's obvious what the Glazers' priority is, which is, which is reflected in a in the decisions that they've made. Okay, well, well hang on, hang on. My point is right. These are the people that are very, yeah, very okay, top. But not, not, not every club is Arsenal or United. No, so, that so, may apply so to the Glazers. Man City are a little bit different because for them, Abramovich is all about winning. You know, he's got money, so he doesn't want any more money. And he keeps winning. Yeah. Okay. So, so is it, do, do we accept that? Cup, wins the league. Do, do, do we accept that maybe the, the, the culture of winning is a slightly different, at certainly at, at City and Chelsea? Possibly at Liverpool too because they I haven't really City's won. I think a little bit different because they're trying to Establish this brand, don't they? Of Man City's global, blah blah blah. I think Chelsea are the, the mentality seen this season. Well, we also see it in the fact that they actually fire managers and keep winning, right? Yeah. I mean, in terms of club culture, right? Yeah. Hey, City have won since they've had money. They've won with Mancini. They've won with Pellegrini. 
they'll presumably win at some point with Pep. It's only his first season. Abramovich has been through a bazillion managers, and most of them have won. Is that the answer, Ollie? If United were has been fourth, or Liverpool fourth, or Arsenal fourth, yet with a chance of winning the title going into the final weeks of the season, yet also a chance of, of dropping out of the top four altogether and missing out in the Champions League. I think if you went to the, the owners of those clubs and said, stick or twist, stay where you are or twist and you might win the league, but you might drop out of the top four. I think those owners that, 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 that I'm talking about, Liverpool, Arsenal, United, American owners, coincidence or not, I don't think so. They would say, they would say, no, we'll, we'll stick, we'll, we'll, we'll stick with our top four Champions League football. I really believe that. I don't believe there is a desperate desire for Manchester uh, from the Blazers for Manchester United the, the, to be champions. The strange thing is, the Champions League, as in finance terms, doesn't really make a massive difference to, to a club like Manchester no, no. United. Um, it's a drop in the ocean. The, the money that they'll they'll miss out on. Yeah, you know what? I'm not sure. You know I'm not sure. They, they keep saying that. Right, Ed Woodward, blah, 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 keep saying this over and over again. But actually, brands are built on exposure. United right now have tremendous exposure and are one of the strongest footballing brands in the world because of what happened in the Sir Alex era. Give it a few more years oh, like this. That as well. Yeah, but because right. of everything they want, because of everything they want. If they don't win anything for the next 20 years, money might still come and will still come, but the brand won't be as strong as it is if in, they win in the 70s, if they win the Champions in League. In the 70s, my friend, Manchester United were a second division football club and still had the highest attendances no, 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 in the whole yeah, of the country. Different sport in the 70s. That's 50 years ago. If you don't play Champions you know, if you if, if you win the Champions League for the next five years in a row, surely, surely, when you're your talking brand. about those, those contracts for ball bearings and, and toothbrushes that... Indian mobile signs, phones. You know, that that's driven by the fact that they see the United on television playing and beating the best teams in the world. There's enough people around who still remember that from when it happened regularly. I agree. Right? The, the, you're not talking about the people in the 1970s who, who, who paid sixpence or whatever to go and stand at Old Trafford. That's a different sort of fan. That's a more important fan, if you will, and some, some might say. And that's part of the history of the game. And, and that's probably where you would be if you hadn't been blessed with a chance to play professional football. But... Those aren't the people who, who get Woodward that additional money that helps him earn his bonus. It's the people around the world who view United as a brand. Um, I could talk about this for hours, but that we need to move on. Fraser Forster saves a penalty. Southampton park the bus and get a point in Anfield. Julien, they're 10th, and they have games in hand. So why are some nasty media types reporting that your mate Claude Puel could be elsewhere next year? And does it only happen if, uh, if the club gets sold? I don't know. It's weird. It must have something to do with Brexit or something. You don't like French people anymore. But so he is a bit French. I mean, you know, they're only three points away from from eighth eighth place. Which, if they finish eighth, would be a very good season considering they also went to a cup final. You know, they they I don't know, the best players first, every year. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. For I think for Virgil first van Dijk gets injured. There's a lot of injuries. I was going to get there. I think for Puel, it's a very very good first relegation. season. What? Only eight points off relegation. Yeah, but that's French people just see see forward, not backwards. But I think I think people have been really harsh with Puel, fans included, Southampton fans included. I think he's he's done a very good job with what he had. And considering again, it's his first season, the language is not so perfect yet. At least he tries, not like other foreign managers in the league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, so I think I think people have been a bit harsh. Speaking of Liverpool, it's definitely two points dropped, isn't it, Ollie? And um are you okay with all the theatrics ahead of James Milner's penalty? I, 
all the things that they did to put poor James Milner off and then Forster kind of playing dumb afterwards on, on television where he comes out looking like Frankenstein and saying, whoa, I didn't do anything. No, I mean, well done, the save, nothing wrong with it. The referee lets it get away with it. But what did you make of all that, Ollie? There was something like a two-minute delay between the between the, the decision and 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 the um, kick being taken, and it did feel like the the, the tension just built and built uh, in the ground. That, that, that's it. That's in the stands. Never mind what it must have been like for Milner, where he's got Fraser Forster sort of uh, you know, looking down on him like that. And Milner said it didn't get to him, but I I thought it looked like it it, it might have done, despite the fact that it actually looked like a decent penalty. I thought Forster should have been booked. In the same way that that Ward Barris was bought for, for, for time wasting, but you know a yellow card. Well, that's that's it's no big deal. It's 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 a bit of gamesmanship. It should probably have been a yellow card, and nobody would have complained. Ollie, if Graham Souness or Steve McMahon or some of those Liverpool hard men of yesteryear had been on the pitch, do you think somebody might have come up to like back up James Milner and get Gigantor out of his grill? Yeah, I was and, a bit surprised and, by that because you see this this little guy standing there by himself. And and then you've got Fraser Forster invading his personal space. Liverpool are a team that have been accused by me and others of lacking leaders and lacking steel and resilience. And are they too nice? But did, yeah, well, I think I think what who's nasty on this Liverpool team? Uh, absolutely nobody. Lovren, Lovren has nobody. an edge, no? Lovren, I remember has, Lovren, an edge. Lovren yeah. has an edge, yeah, yeah. But it's no, it, it, it's a nice team. That Man United team, when you might talk about them as, as being sort of this warrior spirit and resilience, but that, that is a very nice Manchester United team. It's a very nice, gently, gently Arsenal and Man City team. It's probably a too nice a Tottenham team. And maybe um, Chelsea have, uh, are, are going to win it because they've got a bit more of a mean streak. I'll tell you what, if that had been City, I think you would have seen Company, Otamendi, Fernandinho, all mm. those people going to going and sticking up for... For their penalty taker. Speaking of City, they stomp all over Crystal Palace, winning 5-0 as David Silva steals a show when both centre-backs get on the score sheet. Scoey, it seems like a far more orthodox setup from Pep that we've seen in the last few games. Is it a case of needs must, or, or do you think this is just a different Pep and we'll see a slightly more orthodox? It certainly will be interesting to see how we, um, how we play, especially in Europe next season, because I think the total, his total football philosophy, style of play, whatever... I don't think wins trophies in the Premier League. I think you need to to show um, the other side again. I think they certainly need to. He's showing it now, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, and to be fair, getting the ball down, putting it in the box as a free kick, getting your centre half up to to head it is uh, scores goals. You know that's how you win games of football. So, it'd be interesting if we see a little bit more of that next season. I think Palace were awful on uh, Saturday. But they so, have uh, no centre backs. That's his alibi. I'm sticking to it. Looks like Burnley are staying up following their 2-2 draw with uh, West Bromwich Albion. Julian, I feel like I ask this question every week, but does Sean Dyche kind of get lost in the shuffle? I know at least one ex-pro said that he should be in the top three for, for manager of the year. I agree. I agree with you, Gav. I think it's, it's a shame he deserves a lot of credit for keeping this team up, considering they haven't spent that much money. They did spend some money both in January with Robbie Brady, for example, and, and last summer as well, but nothing like others for example if you want and still doing a very good job especially at home and I think they've got a very very good record at home and he deserves a lot of credit for that and for keeping the club up well done can you name two Burnley players who aren't bang average who are not bang average yeah I don't know I think uh, and you you wonder why sometimes pros don't have respects for journalists yeah let me ask you (laughs) 
We're not bang average by Premier League standards. I I think Tommy Heaton is a very, very good goalkeeper. Yes. Michael Keane? Yes. Who is above average in the Premier League? So Heaton. Heaton, Keane. Heaton, Keane, for for sure. I think... uh, Hendrik has his moments, but he's not exactly a model of consistency. Yeah, I I think you're right. I'm sorry, I'm I'm looking at this lineup. I'm not not having a go. I think it's it's tremendous what they've achieved. Bang average. If I I was a Burnley player and and I was in the studio and you say you're bang average. Okay, well then then I would refer you to your paycheck, to your international caps, to your Premier League experience, and I would compare it to the the data set of Premier League managers and I would say, Premier League players say like, yes, all these people have more than I do. And yes, guess what? I'm staying in the Premier League next season and you, Sunderland, you, Middlesbrough, are going down. I, I think it's something to be proud of, frankly. I agree. And Stephen Stephen Defoe is a lovely little player as well. Yeah, well, he's, but he's kind of disappeared. He's on the bench. Him. Yeah, a bit, but well, you're right. You're right. Bang average he's journalist. Done, he's done very good. Whatever you like. Yeah, but, I mean, it doesn't. Yeah, but <laughs> he's done, upset though. He's done very well with what he has and had this season, especially His like budget you said. Is what it is. Yeah, and and there were far more stronger squad than his that have gone down. Oh, we'll go down. Hull contrived to somehow lose at home to Sunderland. Ollie, would you rather explain this weirdness or perhaps explain how Defoe wasn't judged to be offside on that second goal? The second goal, I mean, it was academic, really. Well, unless Hull go down on goal difference or something, it is academic, really. The game was lost by then. But I, always, a curious phenomenon is, is the sort of dead cat bounce of a, of a team that's already relegated and then suddenly produces a performance with the pressure off, uh, as Sunderland did. And maybe the pressure and expectation that Hull haven't felt all season was there on their shoulders on on Saturday game. Everyone expected them to win. So, slightly um, surprising result. I think they put in a performance because Moy said that he was willing to stay next year. It it almost seemed like, you know, they were talking about next season starts here. Um, Maybe players are thinking, well, I need to play to... (laughs) <laughs> to make sure I'm here next season or they make, might be thinking I'm, I need to play to make sure I'm in the Premier League <laughs> yeah, next exactly. season so it's um, it's just a shame um, that didn't start really till uh, it was too late Nobody in the bottom half of the table has scored more non-penalty goals this season than Fernando Llorente who has 13 uh, including the one that lifted Swansea past Everton Scoey, how about you show some love to your fellow big man Show a lot of love I think he's a very very good player very effective um I saw him play in um, Paul Clement's first game, which was at Crystal Palace, and he was outstanding that night. Um, I think he's very good in the box. He attacks the ball well, but technically he's good as well at receiving uh, the ball and linking it up. If he'd been up front for United playing against Nacho Monreal and Rob Holding on Sunday, would United have won? If I'd have played up front for Manchester United on Sunday, we might have won. (laughs) There you go. Gab, one for you. Uh, somebody named Jorge Sisterspiller apparently passed away over the weekend. Who was he and why does it matter? It's a, it's a remarkable story. It's an extraordinary um, story to tell. Somebody I had the opportunity to meet. Um, Jorge Sisterspiller was, was born with uh, sort of some sort of degenerative disease. He walked uh, with a limp ever since he was, uh, ever since he was a child. Um, his older brother, he lived across the street from the stadium of Argentinos Juniors in Buenos Aires. His older brother um, was played for Argentinos Juniors, died tragically in a car accident when he was 20. He idolized him. Everybody felt sorry for him. And so the club allowed him to go and basically hang out there. Um, while there, he met a 10-year-old uh, kid who had just started at their academy, a young boy named Diego Armando Maradona. There was two years difference between the two. Uh, Maradona 
eventually moved in with Sister Spiller so I wouldn't have to commute sort of an hour and a half each way uh, to get the training every day. And Sister Spiller, at the age of 20, negotiated Maradona's move to Boca Juniors. Uh, following year, he negotiated what was the largest um, global sponsorship of a footballer in the world at the time with Coca-Cola. Uh, later, he negotiated his move to Barcelona, uh, which was a world record, and later a world record move to, to Napoli uh, as well. Uh, they later fell apart. Maradona got in with some some different people. Um, but it, in some ways, he really was the the first really high-profile agent who, uh, who really made tons of money for his client. And the remarkable thing about him was that he really was just a kid when he went and he negotiated these enormous deals. And I like to think that today's super agents, whether they be Mina Raiola or Jorge Mendez or Jonathan Barnett, um, that they take a moment to think about this guy who really blazed a trail for them. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guests, Julian Lawrence, James Scowcroft, and from beautiful Rippenden, Ollie Kay. Remember, if you want to subscribe to our newspaper, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial. And if you do so, you will be able to access legal highlights of every game in the Premier League, Champions League, Europa League, FA Cup, and even the SPFL, which I believe is the Scottish Premier Football League. You can press that subscribe button on wherever you choose to download um, your podcast, and you can leave us a review on iTunes if you're listening on an Apple device. We're going to be back next week. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.